Well, hello there, fellow pulmonary critical care type person. Welcome to our first podcast. My name is Deep Ramachandran. Now, this being uh, my very first podcast, I should probably tell you a little bit about myself. I am a pulmonary critical care sleep medicine physician. I am practicing down here in sunny North Carolina. We were up in Michigan for uh, several years. We moved down here a couple of years ago after the whole global warming thing didn't quite pan out the way I was planning. In any case, uh, here we are. So I am a, uh, as I said, a pulmonary critical care sleep medicine doctor uh, practicing in, uh, I used to be in sort of a quasi-academic practice. I practiced in a teaching hospital. I now work in a group uh, employed practice, which of course is very different. Um, day to day, it's probably pretty similar, but uh, overall, it's a kind of a different beast. Um, it's a little different than uh, what I used to practice in, in my private practice. I work in a uh, group practice that is owned by a hospital. The hospital is owned by another corporate entity known as Cone Health. Uh, and I work for a uh, what was previously a private group called Labauer. Now, if that's very confusing, I don't blame you. Uh, if you've been in medicine at all for the last several years, you kind of know the story of multiple buyouts upon buyouts. So it's kind of interesting now being in an uh, employee group practice uh, that's owned by another entity that's owned by another entity. I kind of liken it to that movie Office Space, which of course is you know one of the greatest movies ever made, you have to admit, where the main character has his meeting with the Bobs, you remember? And he goes to him and he says, hey guys, you know what else? I have like eight different bosses. But uh, anyway, that's a podcast for another time. In any case, uh, what I would like to do with these podcasts is uh, talk about issues with pulmonary critical care, both um, updates in pulmonary critical care medicine, updates in literature, and also in things that we deal with as clinicians in day-to-day practice for pulmonary critical care. So this latest study, the IMPACT trial, is sure to go down as a truly landmark study in the annals of studies looking at COPD. Uh, So this was a study that was published uh, in New England Journal of Medicine just this past month, this past May uh, of 2018. And it was really looking to better define the role of inhaled steroids in the treatment of uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease emphysema. So a little bit Uh, So looking back at uh, the role of inhaled steroids, it's really interesting how they've changed over the years. Now, I can still remember uh, when I was a fellow, um, inhaled steroids were really pretty much the thing uh, to use for COPD in addition to uh, long-acting beta agonists. So back then, I remember the results of the TORCH trial came out. Yeah, I went to training that long ago. Some of you may have been training a little longer, so don't sneer at me. Um, So... I remember that in that trial, there was a specific signal, as far as I can recall, that was really the first time it it became that prominent, that inhaled corticosteroids appeared to cause pneumonia. Now, myself and my attendings, we kind of snickered a little bit at that. It was kind of hard to believe that inhaled corticosteroids were really causing pneumonia. Of course, now we look at that and we say, of course they do. Um, It's become really evident over the last few years that these inhaled steroids are associated with pneumonia. Now, at the same time, it's kind of funny because we also recognize that inhaled corticosteroids can reduce the rate of exacerbations. And that's two facts that I've never personally been able to reconcile. How do you, on one hand, reduce exacerbations and on the other hand, increase the episodes of pneumonia? 
And not only that, but there's a study that looks at the episodes of pneumonia, and there's no real significant mortality uh, problem with this increased episode of pneumonia, which kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but yet there it is. In fact, in these most recent goal guidelines, when you look at uh, the role for inhaled corticosteroids, uh, when you look at the ABCD, and by the way, who here thinks that the whole ABCD thing is a bunch of hoo-ha? Raise your hand. Yeah. yeah, me too. I don't get it either. But anyway, inhaled corticosteroids now are really only indicated in the goal guidelines as add-on therapy in two groups, C and D. And in C, they're not even the preferred group. In group C, LABA and LAMAs are the preferred agents, and steroids are recommended only as a add-on to LABAs as an alternative therapy. Whereas in group D, it is recommended that we use LABA and LAMA and use ICS as an add-on therapy. So how is the IMPACT trial going to change that? In the IMPACT trial, they compared a single inhaler triple therapy, a LABA, LAMA, ICS, to dual combinations of two other therapies, a LABA, LAMA, and a LABA, ICS. Now it's interesting that, and it's also kind of confusing that in the triple therapy group, they actually saw a reduced amount of exacerbations and reduced COPD hospitalizations in the group that used triple therapy. Now, these results are, of course, in complete conflict with the results of the WISDOM trial, which saw no significant difference in the rate of exacerbations between the LABA-LAMA combination when compared with inhaled corticosteroid combination. Now, should this change your therapy? I'm sure GSK is going to say so. They've been touting the hell out of these results, as well they should. These were some pretty impressive results. But the accompanying editorial, also in the same journal of New England Journal, uh, it does provide some useful insight. Now, in that editorial, the authors point out that patients who had a history of asthma were not excluded in this study, whereas patients with a history of asthma were generally excluded from other studies where they looked at COPD. And though this likely diluted the study population, I personally don't have a problem with including these patients in the trial, as that's pretty much what we see in the real world. It's very similar to patients that we see in the office uh, in clinical practice. They often have COPD and a history of asthma, uh, whether it's real or otherwise. Now, in addition, the authors also point out that, the most, that most of the exacerbations in the LABA-LAMA group occurred in the first month of the study, after they were abruptly taken off steroids. Now, it's important to point out that this enrollment process in IMPACT is very different than the enrollment process that they used in the WISDOM trial that showed no difference between the two therapies. During the WISDOM trial, patients were weaned off of their inhaled steroids in a stepwise fashion over a course of 18 weeks. Yes, 18 weeks. So they were weaned off the steroids over that period and then allowed to continue on a LABA-LAMA combination, which was versus the patients who were on an ICS combination. In impact, those patients had their ICSs abruptly discontinued and continued on LABA-LAMAs. The authors of the editorial argue that this abrupt discontinuation of the inhaled corticosteroid in the LABA-LAMA group likely caused an increased rate of exacerbation seen in the IMPACT study. And they do provide some proof to this pudding. They show that the bulk of the exacerbations in the LABA-LAMA group actually occurred in the first month 
after the trial started. If we look at the subsequent 11 months of the study, the exacerbation rate between Labalama and Labalama ICS were actually very similar. They end their editorial with a bold statement, a rather bold statement, which is essentially, nothing to see here, keep moving along. They actually recommend not even incorporating this study into your clinical practice and just to continue going by what the goal guidelines say. Now, the authors of the impact study, of course, take quite a different view in their discussion. They argue that the FLAME trial was the one that's biased. The impact authors allege that patients who were in other trials that had their ICS withdrawn, a couple of things might have happened that prevented them from enrolling in the trials. Number one is, as they tried to wean down the steroids, there are COPD exacerbations. As they tried to wean down the steroids, their COPD control became worse, and thus they were not eligible for the study. The other thing that could have happened in those other trials, according to these authors, is that if patients were taken off of their ICSs during the run-in period, they may have had exacerbations that were not included in the study. And if they had those exacerbations, they were no longer eligible to be included in the study. And therefore, there was a, a sort of an inherent bias in those run-in periods because patients whose control became worse or experienced exacerbations were not included in those studies. Now, that's a very interesting hypothesis. One might even call that an allegation. So it would appear that we have multiple authors from multiple studies pointing the finger at each other using the B word. And the B word is bias. Now, looking at the data myself, it would seem that the editorialists have a point. There does seem to be quite a lot of asthma going on for a COPD study. 18% of the patients had significant reversibility seen on their pulmonary function testing. And 57% of the patients had blood eosinophil levels of greater than 150 cells per microliter. Now, the authors state that reductions in the exacerbations were seen at all eosinophil levels, but were greatest for those with EO counts of greater than 150 on their peripheral blood samples. Now, detractors of this study will likely state that this study was not a pure COPD population, but perhaps we're splitting hairs here. Perhaps, and this is my personal take, that is that uh, a lot of our COPD patients do have an element of undiagnosed underlying asthma. Or perhaps we're just, we just don't know enough about this thing that we call COPD or ACOS. Or perhaps this thing that we call ACOS may be more of a spectrum than a definable condition. For me, up until this study, I had been transitioning many of my COPD patients off of inhaled corticosteroids if they were otherwise stable, putting them on a combination labalama inhaler. And so as a result of this study, perhaps I'll be a little bit more cautious when I do that. And certainly, I would probably be more careful about withdrawing inhaled corticosteroids in stable patients. I would at least consider tapering them rather than an abrupt withdrawal to make sure that this withdrawal of inhaled corticosteroids is tolerated. I would also be checking peripheral eosinophil counts more routinely in my COPD patients to see if maybe there's something I might be missing. Until next time, this is Deep Ramachandran. Talk to you soon.